wife, Carrie. She's awesome. She's way nicer than I am. Her usual words to me are, be nice. She's so kind and sweet. Uh, We've been married now for 10 years, which is hard to believe also, uh, but 10 years. And she's here, and if you see her, she's probably carrying around these three hooligans. Um, Those are our kids. Ezra is four and a half. Um, He likes to be clean. He likes to be orderly. Nothing can be out of place. Like Even now, he's already making his bed. Like, we're over in the retreat center, and he needs to flatten his covers out and put his pillow in the right spot. How many of you guys did that this morning, right? Some of you did. Some of you are like, what? Oh, no. Cabin clean up out the window. Um, Eden is our two-and-a-half-year-old, uh, our oldest girl. She is a um, bowling ball with arms. That's how I like to describe her. She has no fear. She just runs. She falls down. She beats up her brother. She's tough. Um, that is Eden. Her, her crazy personality matches her crazy hair. And then we have Nora, who is eight months old, um, there in the middle. She's a sweetheart. Uh, she's eating baby food, loves it. Um, she has uh, suffered from the quarantine in a very interesting way. For over half her life, she has seen only four other people. Me, her mom, and her brother and her sister. So when we go to church and somebody's like, oh, can I hold her? She freaks out. Um, which you probably don't think about because, you know, you guys uh, are older, okay, a few months. But her, it's like, who are these people? But she's getting better. And if you see her this week and you say hi to her, she'll probably just stare at you with her big eyes. But it's okay. Uh, but she's, she's tons of fun. She's starting to get ready to crawl and, and jibber and jabber away. So that's, that's my family. Uh, love them to death. And they're here. You'll see them running around, I'm sure. Um, a few things about me. I love sports. I love the Cubs. I'm a big Cubs fan. July 24th, baseball comes back. July 24th. So we're excited for that. So I'm a Cubs fan. I'm a Hawkeyes fan. Growing, growing up near Iowa City, my mom went to the University of Iowa, so I'm a huge Hawkeye fan. Uh, love, love the Hawkeyes. And I'm a Bears fan. I know. I know. It's rough being a Bears fan. You know what? Do you know who the Bears could have drafted? Patrick Mahomes. Is he any good? Those of you who know football, a little bit. Don't worry, we have Mitchell Trubisky. Anyways, sorry, Hayden. <laughs> uh, what else? I love Dr. Pepper. Yeah. It's, it's, my, it's my drink of choice, and now since I'm getting you know, older, I'm like drinking Diet Dr. Pepper. I'm turning into my dad. It's sad. But I love Dr. Pepper. Um, I love to mow. I love to mow. I love to be, love to be outside working uh, on our yard. Uh, we have a, a house up in, in Minnesota. We built a new garage, and so I got to do the landscaping and all that stuff around it. So I love that. Uh, my days off growing or being in Mason City, I used to come over and mow for like the, a whole day here at camp. And by the time I got done, like the grass I started with was ready to be cut again. It was awesome. Um, so I love to mow. I love music. I love to play guitar. Um, I stole my dad's uh, uh, vinyl record collection. So I like uh, collecting vinyl and stuff like that. It's, it's weird, but uh, it's fun. And then I love to read. I love to read. Anybody like to read here? Yes. I love to read. I love to read all kinds of things. I, I read books about theology, uh, about history, um, about I love to read fiction. Just finally, for the first time, finished reading through the whole Chronicles of Narnia. If you guys haven't done that, do that. Read the books. Don't watch the movies. Read the books. But Chronicles of Narnia, Lord of the Rings, that kind of stuff, love that. So I love to read as well. 
Um, and uh, so that's just a little bit about me, and I'm excited to be here. First time I ever came to IRBC was 2003. Uh, I was after my, <laughs> I was like, wow, how many of you guys were alive in 2003? Oh, the, the counselors. Man, you counselors are old. Um, no. <laughs> 2003, and then I was a contender here, and I've been back almost every summer since then. So, Take your Bibles, take your booklets, and we're going to answer this question, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? And our, our study this, this week uh, is, is based off of this little book entitled, What is the Gospel? Uh, by Greg Gilbert. It's, a, it's short. It's like 100, 120 pages. But it's a wonderful little summary of clearly understanding the gospel the gospel and what it is and what it means for us and how we should respond to it. And so I think this is important for you guys as 7th and 8th graders because you guys aren't junior boys or junior girls anymore. You can understand difficult things. You guys are doing pre-algebra. Some of you might even be in algebra. You're doing all sorts of things at school and you can understand hard concepts so there's no reason that you shouldn't be able to clearly understand and communicate the gospel. And because that is far more important than algebra. Sorry to any math teachers out there. Um, but the gospel is so important and we need to clearly understand it. So if you're interested after this week, hey, I'd love to read the book. It's entitled, What is the Gospel? It looks just like this. Um, check it out. So I'm going to ask this question to you. What is the gospel? Somebody share with me. What, is, what does the word gospel mean? Good news, right? Good news. Gospel means good news. How many of you guys like good news? I like good news. Good news is a great thing. All right. Thinking of Scripture, thinking of the Bible and passages in the Bible, where would you maybe uh, tell somebody to go and read in the Bible if you want to tell them what the gospel is? What are some verses that you would say, hey, read that verse? Uh, John 3.16, that's, that's a great verse, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Okay? That's a great verse. What else? What are some other verses? Romans 3.23, for all have and fallen short of the glory of God. For all have sinned, okay? What are some other verses? Anybody else? What's that? Romans 6.23, right? For the wages of sin is, but the gift of is in Christ Jesus, okay? What else? Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his love for us, and while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. So that's, what else? Somebody say something. John 3 said, oh, really? You don't, you don't quote verse 16 without 17, right? For God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but that through him the, the world might be saved. All right. I think one of the best spots to start, if you want to clearly communicate the gospel, Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4. And he's talking to the Corinthians about what is most important. He says it's the gospel. It's of first importance, right? That Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day. That's, that's the, one of the most succinct, clear descriptions of the gospel. But it's so important. It's so important. So as we think about the gospel, as we think about who Jesus is, what he's done, why, why did Jesus have to die for us? All these things get piled in. And we can maybe miss some parts of the gospel that are really important. So there are four big ideas, four questions that after uh, this week is over, hopefully we're going to be able to answer. Uh, First question, who made us 
and to whom we are accountable. Who made us and to whom we are accountable? We're going to talk about that question today, okay? The next question is, what is our problem? In other words, are we in trouble and why? So, so why did Jesus have to die for us? Why is that a big deal? Third question, what is God's solution to the problem and how has he acted to save us from it? So what has God done for us? And last one, how do I, myself, right here at IRBC, July 2020, how do I come to be included in that salvation? What makes this good news for me and not just for someone else? We're gonna, those are kind of our big ideas that we're going to walk through this week. Today, we're going to look at God. And the gospel I find helpful to, be, to help me remember in this four, forward phrase, God, man, Christ, response. God, man, Christ, response. So we're going to look at that first point today, God. So I'm going to ask you this question. What are some common misconceptions about God? When you talk to somebody who maybe doesn't go to church, maybe a friend at public school or on your baseball team or that you work with, what are some common misconceptions or wrong ideas that people have about God? So if you go up to someone and say, what do you think God is like? What are some things they might say? What do you guys think? There is no God. There is no God. Psh, I don't know what you're talking about. There's no God. That could be one answer. What else? God's dead. Okay, you know what? God was there, but, you know, I think we've moved past that. You know, God is, if he's not dead, at least he's just asleep and doesn't care, you know? What else? Yeah, he didn't really die on the cross. All that, it's just a myth. It's just, just something that, uh, that was just made up. What else? It's all a fairy tale. It's all, it's just, it's just a story. You know, there's lots of, lots of things in history of how people explained how the world came to be and all that. So it's just one of those. What are some other wrong views that people have idea about God? What's that? Okay, it's just made up. Oh, he's stern. Yeah. He's just an angry killjoy. We are all ants and he's up in heaven going, smash, smash, smash. Like my four-year-old does to the ants outside our house. (laughs) What do you think? What's that? He doesn't love us. Okay, God created us, but he just doesn't care about us. God's mean. God's angry. God doesn't like us. Oh, he's unjust. God is not fair. God is not fair because what I've experienced in life, he is not fair. So those those are all good answers. So all misconceptions about God. So he's an old grandpa, right? He's up in heaven. Oh, (laughs) white beard. Oh, you just, you know, he'll just come up and just, you know, scuffle the hair on your head. That's what God's like. Or he's Santa Claus, right? Oh, God, if you help me win my Little League baseball game, I will serve you the rest of my life, you know, right? Please bring me a new Xbox or cool Crocs for Christmas or, you know, whatever you guys want, you know. Um, He's an angry killjoy. He just, he doesn't want you to have fun. He's just, you know, the mean school principal. Just sits there, just watches. Zero fun, sir, you know. That's what God's like. He might be a hipster love. Dude, man, I just want everyone to get along, coexist, peace and love. That's a misconception about God, that he's just all love. 
or he's like this, he's a clockmaker. That he has created the world, he has set it into motion, and then he's stepped back. And he's not involved. He doesn't care. He's absent. He's asleep at the wheel. These are all wrong views that people have of God. God, some people just deny that God exists. That's a whole other series of lessons uh, that we could have. But as these are wrong views about God, this is not what the Bible says. A.W. Tozer, he's an author, and he wrote a book entitled Knowledge of the Holy. And he says this. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. How do we view God? What do we believe about God? What's our attitude towards him? So we're going to take the next few moments and look at some verses in our Bibles. The theme verses for this week are 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, right? That all scripture is breathed out. That word means inspired, breathed out. It comes from God. The, the, the fancy term there is inspiration. All scripture is inspired by God. It comes from him. And it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that we may be equipped for every good work, right? So we can trust the Bible. The Bible is 100% trustworthy because it comes from God. It's inspired. And so there's a whole debate upon the authenticity of Scripture and all that, and we're not going to debate that now because the Word of God is powerful. It's living and active, Hebrews 4 says. And as much as I maybe can talk with you about things, ultimately God and His Word and His Holy Spirit convince you that it is true. So we're going to look at God's word this morning. Turn to Genesis 1, where we were last night with, uh, with Monty, as he shared. Um, we're going to look at two aspects of who God is. Who God is. First off, God is the creator. Let's look at Genesis 1, 26 and 27. So Genesis 1, 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? So we assume that God exists. In the beginning, God. God was already there. He's already been there. He has lived forever and will live forever. That kind of messes with your mind when you slow down and think about that. Okay? But that's awesome because that tells us that God is not like us, which is good because as much as I like myself, the God that I serve, I don't want to be like me because I'm selfish. I'm sinful. I only want to look out for myself. God's not like that. So Genesis 1, 26 and 27 It says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. So who created man? God. He created men and women. He created women and women. Men. Who created man and woman? God did. God created man and woman. Adam and Eve. From the very beginning, God created them. And he made them in his what, does it say? Image. He made them in his image. Not that they are gods like him, but rather that they had uh, 
a personality. They had a will. They had a, a creative side. They could enjoy things. They were set apart from the rest of creation. God created man and woman to rule and reign over his creation. Adam was put in charge of the garden, right? To take care of it, to name the animals, to be a steward, to take care of it. So God created man and woman in his image. That's so important. And as we even take a step back from the gospel, that's why it's so important when when we talk about abortion. Monty mentioned that last night. Because human beings are made in God's image. Made in God's image. Everyone has an errant value because we are made in God's image. Therefore, when you're mean to someone, when you're looked down upon someone because of their hair color, their skin color, their eye color, whatever it may be, you're looking down upon someone who's made in the image of God. So, God is the creator. He created man and woman. Let's jump to Exodus uh, chapter 20, verse 11. We're going to see this again here. We're going to be in Exodus tonight uh, during chapel. Exodus 20, chapter 20, verse 11. <clears throat> this is in the same chapter as the Ten Commandments. As Mo- God is talking to Moses, and Moses will give this to the nation of Israel. He says this in verse 11. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now he's talking about the Sabbath day in relation to the nation of Israel. But we want to focus on that first part of that verse. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth. And the sea and all that is in them. God made everything. God made man and woman and he made everything in creation in six days. God did that. He is creator. He is creator. That is important. That is very, very important. Because if you throw God out of the mix and say, well, we all evolved, right? Survival the fittest. Well, then it's just whoever's the toughest and the meanest and the one who can survive. That's life. That's life. But when we understand that God created everything and that he is our creator, that changes how we think about each other, changes how we treat one another, how we view the world around us. The book says this, a quote here from What is the Gospel? None of us is autonomous. Autonomous. You guys know what autonomous means? What does it mean? Yeah. Yeah. Self-governing, self-control. So you have an, an automatic, an autonomous car that can drive itself. You don't need anybody else to drive it. You don't have to have a human sitting in it driving it. So what we're saying is none of us is autonomous. We are not here on our own. As much as you want to try to keep yourself breathing, you aren't the one keeping yourself breathing. Are you consciously keeping the cells together in your body? You know, are you in line to play gaga ball and you're thinking, cells stay together? Cells stay together. Bones stay strong. If you're thinking that, that's really interesting. And maybe we should have a conversation. (laughs) But none of us is autonomous, and understanding that fact is key to understanding the gospel. Despite our constant talks of rights and liberty, we are not really free as we would like to think. We are created. We are made, and therefore we are owned. In America, we like freedom. Amen? We like liberty, the 4th of July, all these different things. 
And there are certain redeemable aspects in that. But understand this, all of us are dependent upon God. Even if you don't think he exists, even if you think he's, you've forgotten him, we are all dependent upon God. This is Ezra. Ezra just turned four this past February. Ezra got his first real Lego set. And like any good dad, I got him a uh, Star Wars Lego X-Wing. Partly for him, partly for me, okay? Love Legos growing up, love Star Wars. Ezra and I put this X-Wing together. It's Ezra's, it belongs to him. He plays with it in our living room. Often, he throws it at his sister. Things break, things fall apart, but he puts it together how he wants to. He plays with it, it's his. He created it, it belongs to him. Now what if one day those Legos said, no, we don't want to be an X-Wing. We don't want to be whatever your thing is that you've created. No, those Legos belong to him. They don't have a right to, to talk back to him. He is the creator. And I can't come in and say, well, no, that's mine. I want to make it this way. No, it belongs to him. He has control over it. He is the creator. He is the one who has the right to build it and say, you know what? I want to take it apart and build it a different way. Because he is the one who put it together, who created it, it is his to do with it as he pleases. God created us. God created us, and therefore, we can't say, God, no, you got it wrong. We get to do it our way. No, he's the one who owns us, who has a right to us. And you might stop and think, oh man, I don't like that. God's telling me how to live? I don't like to be told what to do especially by some God up in the sky in heaven. That could be scary if God was mean, if God was unjust, if God wasn't loving. But is God loving? Is God just? Is God merciful? Is God gracious? When you look at the one that we're serving, that we belong to, and say, you know what? I don't quite like this idea, but when you understand of who you belong to, it makes all the difference. So we're going to look at this. God, God is the holy and righteous one. Real quick, we're going to go through some of these verses. Exodus 34, verses 6 through 7. Exodus 34, verses 6 through 7. Here again, Moses is writing, talking to the nation of Israel, and he's talking about who God is. And I think this is a wonderful, wonderful passage. Exodus 34, verses 6 through 7. The Lord passed before him, meeting Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. What Moses, what God here is actually saying to Moses he says, I'm merciful, I'm, I'm faithful, I'm forgiving. But understand this, I will judge sin. Sin will be dealt with. Because God is forgiving and merciful and righteous, but God is just and holy and cannot stand sin. A few other verses here talking about God's holiness. Psalm 11, verse 7. Flip a little bit to your right here in your Bible. Psalm 11, verse 7. 
As the psalmist writes here, he says this, For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. The Lord is righteous. He is perfect. He is just. He is without sin. Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 13. Fun fact, Habakkuk is my favorite Old Testament book. I love Habakkuk. It takes me a while to find it, but I love it. (laughs) Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 13. Habakkuk is complaining to God. I like it because Habakkuk complains, but then God answers him and puts him in his place. But this is what Habakkuk says about God. He says, you, speaking of God, are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? He's talking about God's character. He says, you are of purer eyes than to look on wickedness or to look on sin. God is perfect and holy and righteous. And then lastly here, 1 Peter chapter 1. All the way to the right in your Bible in the end of the New Testament. 1 Peter chapter 1. He says this in verses 14 and 16. 14 through 16. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you, meaning God, is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. God is holy. He's without sin. How many of you guys like shoes? How many of you guys like really white, clean shoes? How many of you clean your shoes on a regular basis? Okay. Um, Growing up, I had a pair of Adidas and I don't even know what they were called, but they kind of had the rubber thing on the toe and just the, the three stripes on the side. I, they were white with silver stripes. And as a freshman in high school, whew, man, you put those things where you would say fresh. I don't know if you guys say that now. They were fresh. They were nice and white and clean. About every day I would wear them to school and I would come home. And I'd get out a washcloth, a little dial dish soap, make sure I got all the scuff marks off. And if it was raining, no, I'm not wearing them. Not wearing them to school. Because they were white. They were clean. I don't want to get them dirty. I set them apart. They were special. And so, I took care of them. They were separated. God is like that. God is clean. Uh, God is holy. He's without sin. He's set apart. And that's why, uh, as we look at him, he is different than us. He's holy. He's righteous. And because of that, we are not. We're going to talk about that tomorrow. But as God is the creator, he's the holy and righteous one. He is the one that we give an account to. He is the one who's in charge. This boils down to an issue of authority. Who's in charge? God is. God is. Here's one more quote from the book. We Christians have done a bang-up job convincing the world that God loves them. But if we're going to understand just how glorious and life-giving the gospel of Jesus Christ is, we have to understand that this loving and compassionate God is also holy and righteous, and that he is determined to not overlook sin, or to overlook, ignore, or tolerate sin. He's holy, he's righteous, he's without sin, and he will not overlook sin. This is who God is. A final illustration here uh, before we, we wrap up. I have three children, 
Two of them are getting more independent, which has been fun. They can ride their bikes. They can feed themselves. Um, I can give them something to do, and they can do it. But that doesn't mean I just let them do whatever they want. One thing that I miss uh, up in Minnesota where we live is Casey's. Now, in Iowa, you take Casey's for granted because guaranteed every one of your towns is like three Casey's, right? Yeah, yeah, it's true. I miss Casey's Donuts and Casey's Breakfast Pizza. And so what did we do? We got in Sunday night, Monday morning, we went to Casey's here in beautiful Clear Lake, Iowa. And we got half a dozen donuts and a couple slices of breakfast pizza and some wonderful icy cold to go A&E chocolate milk, okay? We're getting all of our Iowa in at once here. Um, So we got half a dozen donuts, six donuts. My wife was taking care of our youngest daughter and so it was me, Ezra, and Eden. And we're sitting there eating. And Ezra eats one donut. And he goes, can I have another? Okay, we'll cut you another little half. He's a growing boy. All of a sudden, I look over, and he's eating the the other half, and he's taking a bite out of one of the other donuts. And if it was up to him, he would eat almost every single donut in there. Right? Now, as a good, loving parent, I said, no, stop. Do you think he liked that? No. Because in my mind, I'm like, me too, buddy. I could eat them all, right? He didn't like that. But because I cared for him, and because I love him, I don't want him to get sick. I don't want him to get really hyper and then crash. I said, no, that's enough. That's enough. Sometimes parents or other authorities in your life say, you can do this, but now you need to stop. It wouldn't be wise for you to do that. And you think, oh, you're so mean. Why are you doing this? But it's because they love you. It's because they love you. So as we think of God and how he is our creator, and he loves us, but yet he is holy and righteous and he tells us not to do certain things. He tells us that sin will be judged. We might put our fists up and be angry at God, but we must understand it's because he loves us. It's because of who he is and his love for us that he will deal with sin, that he will judge wickedness, but also that he shows his love for us through Jesus Christ. So our big idea today is God. God. God is the creator. God is holy and righteous. He's the one who's in charge of us, and we have to answer to him. That he is the one who owns us, who we belong to. As you guys are going to split up now and go back to cabin follow-up time counselors, there should be some questions uh, in the back of your, uh, your booklet there. Uh, those are just some, some questions to launch into discussion. And I would encourage you guys with this. As you seek to answer those questions, go to God's word. Go to God's word. Not just what you say or what you think, but have it be rooted and grounded in scripture. And talk about who God is and God's character. And this sets us up for the rest of the week as we look at who we are, what Christ has done, and our response to the wonderful news of Jesus Christ. Let's pray and then we'll be dismissed. Dear Father, we thank you for the opportunity again to be here. Thank you that you are our creator. Lord, thank you for creating us in your image. Lord, that we have value in your eyes, not because of us, but because of who you are. Lord, that thank you that you're also holy and righteous and just, and you're not like the world around us, but you are set apart. Lord, I pray for these teens here this morning as they think about these questions and maybe do their devotions, Lord, or memorize verses, Lord, that they would think about who you are and how that impacts their life. 
Lord, we thank you for Jesus. And as we dig more into what is the gospel, understanding that it starts with you, who you are, and your character. Lord, and how we fall short. But yeah, how you have made ways for us to be set right. Lord, we love you and we thank you. We pray for all this in your son's name.